know, and that's the benefit, like you said, health issues. That was a major benefit of my health issues because when I was sitting in a hospital bed, they told me I had kidney cancer. And the first thing I thought of was like, everything I did up to this point really doesn't matter, does it? You know what I mean? Like I have my wife, you know, which is uh, the most important thing to me. And putting work first for years, you know, you learn really quickly when you're laying there in a bed, you know, and you're looking at your CT scan and you have a tumor the size of a golf ball in your kidney, you rethink things. So I'd vowed that when I came out of that, you know, the benefit of that was I got the perspective of the life change without dying. Hello and welcome to the Health Detective Podcast by Functional Diagnostic Nutrition. We bring you interviews from people who have conquered the trickiest of health challenges using the Functional Diagnostic Nutrition philosophy and similar healing modalities. You're going to hear from experts who have been through the ringer with their health issues and yet managed to come out on the other side. If you're interested in natural healing and or functional medicine, congrats, you are in the right place. You can always visit us at functionaldiagnosticnutrition.com. But for now, here is today's episode. Okay, hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Health Detective Podcast by Functional Diagnostic Nutrition. My name is Evan Transu, a.k.a. Detective Ev, and I will be your host for today's show. We're talking with my friend and colleague, Matt Terry. He is an FDN himself, and this guy has been in the health space for a while. He was doing functional lab testing over 10 years ago before it was really cool, and I think that's a huge testament to our program because even with that background and who he learned from, he still chose to go through the FDN course two and a half years ago, and he loved it. He's had great success with it. This is also a guy who has the business side of things down. He does about half of his day with clients in person because he has a personal training business as well. And he does another half online with the FDN clients. And he's done by four or five in the afternoon, just like we should be right. He actually can shut off the work when it's done. That's what he said. So I thought that was pretty cool. We have a lot of different things we'll talk about today. And there is a really interesting part at the end, the final um, roughly 15, 20 minutes where we're talking about eating disorders and eating disorders in men, eating disorders in the fitness space. I thought it was really cool of him and just very courageous to get on here. He talks about this so openly. It is what it is. And I think there is something to be said about his type of personality doing that because for those listening only on audio, Matt has, at least my impression of him was, that very stereotypical in a positive way. Like he looks like kind of like an alpha type of person, right? He's big and strong, man. He's confident with what he says. And that's a great thing to have. But you associate that type maybe unfairly, with people who are unwilling to be vulnerable or talk about stuff that they've dealt with emotionally. Not not this guy. He's got the best of both worlds. Because he's strong as an individual, both physically and mentally, but then also courageous enough and vulnerable enough to allow us to know, hey, I have dealt with some stuff. I've struggled with my things. And he told me he actually tells every single one of his clients that so that they know that he's human and that he's been through things too. I think that's pretty amazing. And I hope you guys enjoy this episode. A little bit about him really quick. Matt Terry is his name again. He's a presenter, personal trainer, nutrition coach, and full-time practicing FDN in Overland Park, Kansas, where he owns a personal training studio. He has used his personal struggles with obesity, injuries, and disease to help his clients at new levels with customized solutions that get to the root of the issue. His mission is to provide people with the right education, support, and coaching to create sustainable solutions for optimal lasting health, energy, and confidence. Well, how are you not going to like that? I would love that. One more thing I want to say before 
how we get to today's show is if you are listening to this in the month of June when this came out, it's going to be pretty late in the month, then you have just a few more days before the course goes up $1,000. And this is not to match something that's about to come out. We're actually only raising the price of the course due to what has been added to the course over the last two years. So it is going to go up $1,000. There are still multiple opportunities to check out uh, different aspects of the course and what we're doing here. On June 28th, in fact, there is an open house with Reed Davis himself. He is the founder of FDN. We just did an episode with him recently, okay? Make sure that is in your schedule. Go to fdntraining.com summer and you will get all the notifications and emails for that. That is fdntraining.com summer and you can ask all your questions that you'd like with him on the 28th. And there's also some other events that went on this month, tons of stuff actually, and you should be able to check that out as well. So fdntraining.com slash summer to look at all of that and get into the course possibly before the $1,000 increase on July 1st of 2022. But with that all said, let's get to today's interview. All right. Hey there, Matt. Thanks so much for being here with us today. Thanks, Evan. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so this is cool because when I was going back and forth on the emails, I understand that you've had quite a lot of success with the FDN system, both health-wise and business-wise, so that's amazing. I feel like that's what everyone's listening to this podcast for, is they want to know, mm -hmm. that, does this stuff work? But I was curious with something uh, for you. How long have you been in FDN? Is this a long time? I think it will be, it's over two and a half years. It was like the early part of 2020, maybe last, actually latter part of 2019. Very cool. All right. Well, I think that's even more of a testament. I wasn't sure because there was this huge wave of people that were very personal trainer, fitness oriented that came in like 10, 12, 13 years ago. Um, mm. So I wasn't sure if it had been that long, but I think that's even better to know that two and a half years ago you came in and mm. you know, you're telling me off air, we got the in-person thing going on and the online. I, I, that's pretty special, but I'm getting ahead mm -hmm. of myself. Um, I will talk about that later in the show. How we actually always start this one, Matt, is we asked the person, what were their health symptoms like and when did they start? Because I know you and I are literally just meeting each other, but from the bio that you sent and the background that I have on you, I kind of know that you were like pretty much everyone else and you dealt with your own variety of things before getting into this world. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I was actually, I mean, my probably my health journey probably started when I was much younger. You know, I was really overweight and I was <clears throat> overweight most of the first half of my life. And then I was a really successful athlete. So I kind of kind of did things uh in a, in a kind of a, a different arc. So I was really overweight, kind of lost that weight. Uh, sports really helped me do that. And then I really got focused on weightlifting and, and probably see behind me, like, like my background was, a, I was an Olympic weightlifter for a long time and I, and I've done bodybuilding shows and other things. Um, so actually after my last bodybuilding show in 2015, I ruptured my appendix, um, trying to do a key a failed ketogenic diet experiment. And, uh, so the good news about that was when I, when my appendix ruptured, that was when they found the, the tumor on my kidney, which is when they told me that I had renal cell carcinoma, which is kidney cancer. Um, and they found one in my hip, which is actually benign. So for the last seven years, I've been watching that doing scans. And then, so FDN, where really FDN came in for me is I did FDN because I had so many gut problems post the, um, appendix surgery. I was on, I, I had sepsis, almost died. And I was on IV antibiotics for a week. And after that, my stomach didn't work at all for two years. And so it was like, and my mom had just died of colon cancer prior to that. So I was like, do I have colon cancer? Like what exactly is happening at this point? So for two years, I just, I kind of wasted away. I'm about 200 pounds now. I got down about 150. I think the lowest I got was 155. I just, I was losing like two or three pounds a day and I just couldn't eat anymore. Um, so I had massive gut issues. So that's kind of what got me into FDN was I was really more, um, I'd been using lab testing functional, uh, 
health practices and lab testing in my practice for at least 12 years. But I didn't really um, understand some of the gut stuff. And I really wanted to dig deeper into that. So that's when I got into FD and I really, um, really dove deeply into that. And that really helped me a ton. And that's where I really started seeing some big improvements, just in how it felt day to day and some of my gut symptoms. I had a lot of skin issues, you know, I had histamine problems forever. I didn't know what they were. And then, so I was able to fix those. And then, so really FDN is like most things, helps you fix yourself, right? And then you can kind of work concurrently on your clients. And then, so then they get better results and you get better results. And then it kind of evolves from there. And that's really kind of where FDN has brought me to is where you now everything is pretty much for the best I've ever felt. My labs are the best I've ever felt. My business is structured well, very little stress. I only work barely 40 hours a week and I make more than I've ever made. So it's, everything is going, you know, knock on wood, everything's going pretty well right now. That's great. I, well, I'm glad that, it all came out on the other end because you threw a lot of us there for mm-hmm. a second. There was like quite a few things and I, I'll touch on, I want to rewind for a moment, but I got to touch on that 40 hour week thing because listen, I love working. Uh, many of us are very passionate about what we do and that's great. But at the same time, so many of us in this space have had severe health issues and you realize it's like exercise. I mean, this is a perfect example. I could love Olympic weightlifting. I cannot do that 12 hours a day, seven days a week. Even if I was, you know, a top level athlete that that was their life, that is not going to work. You're going to break your body. And similarly, although you might be able to get away with it longer, the working excessive hours, and especially when it's at the sacrifice of sleeping or eating properly, I mean, forget it. You're on a one-way ticket to disaster there. FDN, what's cool about it is you can make a living doing this within that 30 to 40 hour range pretty easily. Uh, You might know Jen Maleka, I'm sure. She's someone that swears by only doing the 40 hour Mm -hmm. week. She will not go higher than that. She figures Mm -hmm. out how do I become more valuable in that 40 hours rather than just adding hours to my work schedule. So Mm -hmm. kind of a cool philosophy there, which, you know, maybe we'll get to, maybe we won't. I got to pop in for the failed ketogenic diet thing for a second though, because when you say that failed, that can mean many different things. So what does that mean to you? Do you mean the diet failed you? You failed at the diet? I'm curious. Uh, so I did the diet to a T. Um, I started as a dietitian 25 years ago. So I've been in this world for a long time. Um, I've worked with clinical patients for a long time. People are really sick. I work with, you know, some of the, when I might help coaching practices, more like MS, lupus. So it's, that's more of that realm. So I've been dealing with that kind of area for a long time. Um, and what I really noticed was, um, Sorry, I totally lost my train of thought. What was your question? I'm thinking of like okay. seven things ahead. I, I, I can't even tell you how many times I've done that live on this show. Mm-hmm. It's, it's better when you just the person being interviewed, because if you do it once, not a big deal. But when you do 150 episodes, it shows that we're all human and we do this all the time. Oh, sure. <laughs> my question was <laughs> regarding the keto thing, like what made it fail uh, yeah. for you? And I'll explain why that's important to me in a second, but I'm curious. Yeah, so I did the ketogenic diet to a T. The, the reason it failed is when you now look at my genetics, it makes a lot of reasons, a lot of sense why it failed. Some of my genes, like the APOE gene variant, right? The PEMT gene variant, so poor gallbladder function. I don't respond well to saturated fat. Like everything went bad when I started the ketogenic diet. So my cholesterol basically went from, it's usually pretty low, actually. I'm um, usually around 150 to 160. It went to over 400 in over the first five weeks. I mean, it just skyrocketed. My liver enzyme skyrocketed. I was nauseous. I was really tired. I did not feel good. Um, and I just stopped eating because I just wasn't hungry. And I just, I mean, it was new to me. So I really just wasn't sure what was going on. And then I just realized I just don't do well in any type of high fat approach whatsoever. And then when you kind of dig deeper, I mean, I see it a lot with clients too. I mean, there's not, not a lot of people do, I've seen actually do great. On, they don't thrive on it. So once I saw, like when I said it failed me, meaning like that's not the right approach for me and that's not an approach for my genetics. And so that's how, when I use nutritional approaches, one of the lab tests I will use is genetics and other things to look at. Well, what does a person really respond well to? So we're just not guessing based off what they may want to do, you know, which is all intense is could be really uh, 
well-intentioned, but it still might be the wrong approach for them. Okay. That's really interesting. And this isn't, by the way, because again, I know we just started interacting. I never mm -hmm. am challenging people. I'm just always curious to learn more for myself mm -hmm. because when I'm in ketosis as we speak right now, uh, metabolic, you know, actually contract this blood. I feel amazing mm -hmm. when I do this. I got to be very careful with the electrolytes. I'm, I do a lot mm -hmm. of other things too, to make this work, uh, but it's something I've done long-term and feel amazing. And this was as someone who is, I mean, still to this day, a, a very lean person. I was never even trying to lose weight, quite the mm -hmm. opposite. And if anything, it's helped me gain strength in the gym and, and have better records than I've ever had before. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, that can be contributed to a genetic thing. So I'm not going there. What I'm curious about, especially with someone that has the background that you do, ketosis is a metabolic state, right? Keto mm -hmm. diet versus ketosis. I mean, there is no way any ancestor, no matter I mean, if they lived for more than just a little bit, would have been or not been in ketosis at some point. Uh, babies, mm -hmm. obviously, for example, if they're breastfed are in ketosis mm -hmm. a lot of the time. So I'm curious, where do you separate that? Because if it's a metabolic state, it's, I would assume you would agree that at some point we're supposed to be getting into this. So how is that differentiated for maybe clients? Like take the genetics out of it. I'm not saying everyone should be doing this 24 seven. What mm -hmm. do you think about it being a metabolic state? So people will never get into ketosis. And if you look at Dominique's uh, Agostino's research on that, it's about 20% of the population. I'm one of those people. I'll never get in deep ketosis ever, even after 40 hour fast. Even when my appendix ruptured and I was in the hospital, I still wasn't that high. You'll see, like, even when I was measuring my blood ketones, the BOHP monitor, I never got above 0.4 ever. Even taking wow. ketogenic supplements and some of, I was taking ketone esters. I was doing everything I could, never got above it. So I kind of dug deeper in that. And you'll see some people just will never get into ketosis because they lack some of the just metabolic flexibility to do it. doesn't mean it's necessarily a problem. Just some people won't. Um, and I think I was definitely one of those people. Um, and some people just don't really feel great, you know, on it. But some people do. I've definitely had some clients who've thrived on it and they do really well and they have better brain function and they feel super alert. Um, for me, anytime like I can fast and I can, and I feel great when I fast. One of the problems for me with the ketogenic diet, and you don't actually have to do a high fat ketogenic diet. You can do this a lot of different ways. Mm -hmm. um, and so if I do use a ketogenic diet, I'll actually use a little more protein, a little bit less fat for people. And they generally respond and they would do much better with that. That's usually when we're pushing that 85 or 90% fat, which is the one I was doing at that time. Them, I don't see a lot of people do well with. They just they have a really hard time doing that much fat. De depending again on what the fat source is. Mine was predominantly more coconut oil and other things because I was just trying to keep my saturated fat up um, and just keep obviously my carbs down at that time. And I just I just didn't respond well to it. So I think you'll see some people like a lot of things will do well with some things and some things just don't do well with. Absolutely. May I ask um, not to just make the whole interview about that? We'll move on, but I'm. I know the listeners are going to be interested in that. What was the doctor's name too? Because I'm not familiar with that research and I'd love to look into oh, that. Domus, uh, uh, Dominic Diagostino. He's like one of the leading ketogenic researchers, I believe, from the University of South Florida. Thank you so much. He's I pretty much the biggest and, name in that space. And he's also developed a several lines of ketone estrogen supplements. And he's done a lot of um, RTCs on, the, on various, uh, I think, things that he's working on. That was probably the most interesting part about what you said, and all of it was interesting, but the fact that the exogenous ketones still couldn't even get yours up, is you'd think that would be the no-brainer, right? Like, oh, okay, well, even if I'm eating 100,000 grams of carbs every day, I should be able to fake this a little bit. Not mm -hmm. recommending that mm -hmm. at all, guys, but I'm just sure. saying it should be possible. Really interesting. Mm -hmm. I will look into that. That's cool. And I think the last point I'll make is the whole point of the excessively high fat, because yes, people don't realize that, that in theory, let's say now you're in this 80%, assuming that this is correct, which I don't know why it wouldn't be, that can get into a metabolic state of ketosis. Well, if you just fast, which 
again, I'm not recommending necessarily, but if you just fasted for five days water, you're going to get into ketosis, assuming that you can, right? And so you can also induce that with a ketogenic diet, but that doesn't necessarily, there's no requirement anywhere written that says I have to eat super high fat to get into that in a healthy way. Um, mm -hmm. I actually find too, if I'm not physically active, which it sounds funny, I always am, but sometimes I get so caught up with work in the middle of like the school year when I'm doing FDN and other stuff, I'm going for 12, 13 hours a day. For my body, I really, I, I don't feel good actually when I go and then try to do an hour weightlifting session mm. at that point. Um, so as long as my labs look good, I'll actually, my activity is me moving around all day and doing all this stuff. I can do lower protein and higher fat then and I feel great. But if I mm -hmm. am active, I find I actually like the higher protein a little better. The mm -hmm. carbs don't change much for me. I can keep pretty low on those, but the fat will actually come down a little bit and I find that I feel good with that. So mm -hmm. um, I'll leave it at that. Getting into the world of the functional lab testing and all those types of things, you had said that you were doing that for about 12 years, I believe, before mm -hmm. even finding FDN. FDN was to optimize the gut stuff. That's pretty impressive because if you're finishing this course up two, two and a half years ago, to be using these types of lab tests 14 years ago is advanced. I mean, statistically, it's advanced right now, right? Because it's not like the majority are doing it. So mm -hmm. uh, back then, I, I think that's pretty interesting. Where did you get the idea that, hey, I should be using labs when most people probably weren't? So one of my backgrounds is in the personal training side was what's called biosignature. So Charles Poliquin had developed several systems. And um, so really what his biosignature system was, was really just a functional medicine system, functional medicine system where you used body fat testing to kind of, it was supposed to be more of like an, like an, like an on-spot lab test without using lab tests. And then, so if you saw different sites, kind of like in hair analysis, have you the significant ratios? So in the way the body fat testing works, if you have different um, sites that are off, like say, for example, if your pec measurement is higher than your tricep, then technically that male has low testosterone, higher estrogen. I'm not a psychic. We can't tell you values, but that's probably <laughs> what's happening. And then, so that's where you would then, okay, well, now let's order this blood test so we can confirm this. And so we can use that. So he was, it was basically just a functional medicine system. So you'd use the MRT for food sensitivity testing. We'd use some kind of gut stool testing, blood work, cortisol testing. I mean, we would use a whole gamut of things. And then, so I had developed some kind of local relationships where I'm at in my town with some functional medicine practitioners where I would send my clients to them and I'd say, Hey, I'd like to have these labs ordered, blah, blah, blah. Are you okay with that? And a lot of them would do that. And so the only problem was they'd come back with these enormous bills, you know, sometimes from functional medicine practitioners. And sometimes in those people, those bills are so big, those people couldn't work with us anymore. So I said, well, we will get rid of the middleman and we will start doing that. So we can be a one-stop shop so we can help our people. Um, and then we can adjust pricing so that people can afford to do everything. And that's really when I happened to find FDN. And the number one reason I took FDN and looking at other programs was what I saw was, at least as far as I know, um, FDN was the only program I found where you could actually order lab, order lab testing. Some of the other ones that were available are out there. Like if you're not a licensed practitioner, you cannot order lab testing even when you graduate. So that's why when I was like, well, FDN's a no brainer. And so that, that's why I think it's so valuable, especially if you're going to use lab testing in your practice or with your, with your clients or whoever, it's very important. I, I totally agree. And for those a little more interested in that, because that's a question, Matt, that comes up all the time. How can I order the labs? What What is, is that legal? Is that ethical? It's like, yes. Um, go back a few episodes, maybe like six or seven, Dr. Sandeep Gupta. He's one of our medical directors here, guys. And he actually did an interview with us where he explains why he puts his name on the FDN stuff, why he's one of many that are willing to do this because he trusts the system. That's what it comes down to. The education strong here. Now, what's cool is, Matt, I don't, and I don't want to stereotype this at all. I think 
I think you would agree with this. I have a friend, especially, my God, I love this guy. Very, very successful, uh, successful in like the strongman space, um, killing it on YouTube, hundred thousand plus subscribers. Like he's a well-known name. He's won at nationals, competed internationally, and he's very open to what I do, which is cool. But I have found Again, stereotypically, people that are more like into the fitness, especially at a high level. I mean, you said you're 200 pounds. For those not on video, this is a good looking guy, man. You're a pretty strong, jacked up person. I have found that is some of the groups that are most resistant to the stuff that we talk about. And there's a very, um, it's not the labs necessarily that turns them off. It's like the health oriented stuff or like, hey, maybe you need to take a break from exercise for a while if you're in this exhaustive phase of HPA axis dysfunction. Mm -hmm. um, is that just my own bias? Maybe I can't communicate with them as well because they look at me and they think, all right, well, this guy doesn't know crap about our space. Why would I listen to him? Um, it could be that. So mm -hmm. do you agree with that? Um, I have not run into that. And I work with a lot of professional okay, athletes. So it's me. So they, just they love, yeah, they love lab testing. And a lot of the people <laughs> that I work with who are like high level performance people love lab testing. So okay. I don't know. Maybe it's just maybe it's just some of the people you're 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 coming across because it doesn't mean they're all. Open I to it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I appreciate you being polite. I'm I'm gonna guess maybe I I don't have the image necessarily of someone who's gonna trust that right away, especially since I challenge a lot of the uh, the bro side stuff. Obviously, sure, when it comes sure, to the nutritional sure, sure. side of all of this, so I think mm -hmm. it's cool. Anyone that combined it, I think that's already the future of this stuff. Right when mm -hmm. we can merge both worlds together perfectly. I mean, these athletes are looking to optimize at any little level that they can, especially at the highest level. Uh, Joey always says, if you can get half a percent at his stage, he's like, that's great, man. That's the difference between a championship and not perhaps at that level, right? Mm -hmm. um, and he, he always uses that in explaining like supplements are supposed to be supplemental, right? These little half a percent mm -hmm. uh, changes mm -hmm. ideally. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty cool. How did you over time then, I guess, go from someone who, just to be clear, at one point, there was a time where Matt existed with personal training, perhaps without any labs whatsoever, right? Mm -hmm. Or was mm -hmm. it always, okay. So yes. how has this now become an integral part of your practice? Because based on what you said to me, this is something that you're doing every single day, it seems. Oh yeah, no, it is. I, I probably get, I bet I probably get 20 or 25 labs in a week that I have to review because of just right. some of the stuff that I do. Um, <clears throat> so no, I, how I use it now, um, I use it with every client who comes in and I will use some form of lab testing when it comes. Okay, so I'll use, obviously, there's an intake form, which I use to decide what I want to work on based off their symptoms and their goals. And then from there, that kind of directs me, well, okay, based off my analysis, based off my initial assessment, where we're going to start and what labs we're going to use. And so where I'm kind of at now, kind of my favorite labs I will use on everyone that I will order it is hair, blood, stool. I always start with hair, blood, stool. Because you can see so many things. And when you, when you understand how they go together. There's so many ways you can cross-check and look for things. Like, for example, like you can do deficiencies in one panel. You can spot the deficiencies in the other. It can confirm it. You can see gut infections on one. You can see something else in the other. So when you're putting those all together, that's how I design someone's nutrition program. That's how I design all of their supplementation. I don't give anybody supplements about lab testing. Um, and then after that, when we get it back, that's where I start designing the protocol. I design everything based off when I get back to the labs. And that has been... For me, uh, I think that's been a game changer because then you can start to work with people not just on the external, right? But you can also work on the internal so you can make them feel good and look good on the inside and outside. And that's also so we can get better labs, right? So then we're more concerned with longevity and optimal health and the full health picture, not just performance or not just being myopic about a few things. That's amazing. So when... I guess because I know everyone has their niche or their elevator pitch, whatever. Mm -hmm. Who is coming to you to work with you? Like, what is their expectation? So I have, what I'll tell people is, so I own a personal training studio and I work there in the mornings. And then I usually come home at lunch and I have lunch with my wife. And then I usually work with my online clients until about four in the afternoon. So I have a pretty, pretty I started at five, but I end at four. So I have a pretty, pretty tight day. I only work half days on Friday and I don't work weekends. And I don't work nights and I don't respond to emails. 
So I have office hours, like my day is very structured. My clients know that and that's how it works. So what I would say is the whole, the whole process itself um, in terms of lab testing is my, the people who are coming to me primarily, it's either going to be weight loss. And that's why I do my nutrition coaching program because that's really my background. It's just being overweight. I understand those. I have eating disorders. So I kind of work in that world. I do a lot of counseling for eating disorders. Um, I do a lot of like coaching in that realm in terms of just eating problematically and then performance. So if someone's like basically want to lose weight and they, or they're an athlete who wants to have their performance or they have gut issues or we've got something what I call under the hood that we don't really know what it is. And we've got some symptoms and we, we want to get to the root of it, but we don't want to use medications or other things. So those are really kind of the three people that I work with. Okay, cool. So, and yeah, I'm glad I asked that because it's always important for the audience too, that they might be resonating with you and want to work mm-hmm. with you. So I don't have to necessarily be like, all right, Matt, listen, I, I want to achieve this in the gym right now. This could be totally just for health and mm-hmm. Matt still helps him out with that. Oh, cool. right, that's, that's really cool to mm-hmm. offer both of those things. Because again, I think mm-hmm. the people that are competing at a high level athletic wise or um, your sport wise or whatever you want to call it, especially if they are natural athletes or lifters, this stuff is a necessity. You can get a big advantage over the other people out there. It's like so crazy. I love that you do that thing with like no working nights because you'd think that'd be common sense. But I know these athletes are so motivated and, and God bless them because they're trying hard to get all this stuff done. But I'm like, where on earth did you think that you were supposed to be sleeping five hours a night? You know, I mean, these people are going to bed at like one in the morning, sometimes waking up at six, pushing, pushing. I'm like, you are an athlete. You need that recovery. That's, I mean, I'm no expert, but I would assume that's one of the most essential parts of the the whole gym process or the sport process, you know, Um, even Kobe Bryant. Yeah. He said it eventually that he learned, I, you know, I got to get the sleep and he was a nut with that. He did it for years, but he said, you know what, this actually is having this counterintuitive effect. I thought I could just work more and more, but now it's affecting me on the court. It was leading to injuries and he realized, Mm -hmm. all right, rest is number one. I heard at one point LeBron James, I I have no way of fact checking this, I suppose, but i read it right online. It said it in the news articles as well. He sleeps apparently 10 to 12 hours a day. Um, And that's how he takes Pretty yeah. interesting, right? Because especially considering how he competes at his age now, um, obviously he's not old, but in his sport, you would think he's mm-hmm. capping out a little bit. And man, his team fell apart this year, but he's doing overall okay mm-hmm. um, himself mm-hmm. personally. So um, what are some cool stories or, or testimonials that might have happened with some of your clients to the degree that you're mm-hmm. able to share it? I'm not asking for like sure. names, but I oh, feel like sure, you seem yeah. like a guy with your structure. You've worked with so many people. So I'm curious who's come through that door and how it's worked for him. There's some really, really cool ones. And I think it depends. So I work with people from basically in their thirties up to their, my oldest client is 82. Um, so I think it really depends on, I've seen so many really cool health changes. Probably one of the first one come to mind. I had a client who came to me who had lupus. She was a nurse. She was a night nurse and she had massive edema in her calves. And when she first came to see me, she's a very tiny woman. And when she first came to see me, her calves were enormous. So I was first, she's obviously concerned for lots of reasons for that. Um, and then um, she was very bloated, which had tons of gut problems, like really descended. She had a massive fungal infection right for your mouth. The first time you saw her, that was just, so when I was doing her intake, we're seeing all this. And so we changed her diet and put her on some gut supplements. I did some gut testing and a bunch of other stuff. And in the first month, she had 14 pounds and five inches off her waist. And none of it was body fat. It was bloating. It was fluid. And it was just, I mean, like her legs normalized a lot of her digestion was so much better. And that was in the first month. And it was, it was one of the first things I could really see that when you line everything up correctly and we're using like a little FODMAP approach and we got this, we got a stool test on so I could see what was happening. She had tons of gut infections. She had each pylori. She couldn't digest anything. So we worked with her digestion, supporting where needed, getting her more sleep, trying to get her out of night shifts, like really just trying to educate her on the full paradigm of health, which actually did really well. 
Um, and I've got one right now. This is actually really funny. Um, I say funny because I felt bad for her, but she's improving so quickly. Um, I had a consult that started with me last month. Really bad histamine issues. Like when I'm doing the consult, like she's itching from head to toe like she has fleas. And I was like, and really around the joints, you know what I mean? And I was like, can you show me your elbow? And as she takes off this bandage, I mean, it's like, whoa, like monkey box. I mean, it was like everywhere, you know, so like, just like swollen, you know? <clears throat> so within the first couple of weeks, no longer itching, got somewhat normalized. Like we just removed a handful of foods that are trigger foods. She's sleeping better and she's already lost like 12 pounds, you know, in like the first right. three and a half weeks. And this is someone who's like, I can't eat anything. I'm like, no, no, no. We're just, this is temporary. We're going to, we're going to, we're just through the process. <laughs> and I was like, you're not going to have to do this forever. So it's just kind of educating people. Like we do have a systematic process. We go through these things. We have time frames. We retest. Like none of this is guessing. None of this is, we're just, you know, I saw this on YouTube and I think it's good. like, we have specific protocols. We go. It's all on YouTube. Yeah. Yeah. And so she got better really quickly. And just so, I mean, when you see things like that, when people are like, you know, I went from not being able to live a normal life to now it's like i can pretty much do what i want like that's huge for people and then obviously like, people lose like 200 pounds i mean those are amazing you know or older people who have a lot of issues maybe sometimes like balance issues a little dementia a little cognitive decline you know and sometimes it's not as bad as to fix as you think and now all of a sudden they can remember things and now all of a sudden they can move and they're not falling over you know and they can they have better balance like my 82 year old she can do like all the way down until like the full deepest squat you can possibly get she can do three sets of 20 of those like with body weight and she will do perfect form and she does it three times a week. And so those are the things I really focus on with those people is just strengthening the legs as much as possible. In addition to, if they can help the nootropics and they with brain function and sleep, I think it's so much better. And that was, I think really when your point sleep is what I really, really emphasize. I had a consult with the client yesterday. She's a very successful attorney. And she said, I don't go to bed till three in the morning and I get up at 8 a.m. And she said, I put on 50 pounds in COVID. I said, that would be the least of your worries if you don't fix that sleep. Uh, you're gonna have way bigger problems to start with c and d like cancer and dementia so you need to make a life change so sometimes you you really when you have that information you can relate to people and you have background stories you can say and obviously we have research you like these are the things you can really educate people on not as scare tactics by any means but you know in that whole entrepreneurial world of when you're asleep i need when i'm dead i'm just gonna keep pushing it's like the worst advice you can possibly give someone until you know they start to develop health issues I love that you talk to people about that because we've mentioned this on the show before. I feel like myself, I fall more into that category and I'm like, I'm almost grateful for my health issues because I'm wondering what the heck would have happened because I know mm -hmm. how badly I pushed and pushed and pushed even with mm -hmm. the health issues. I'm just like, okay, well, there's no cap on this. So, you know, and then eventually something is going to happen. Like you said, mm -hmm. it's like, guys, there's going to be that wall eventually. And so I think you can have your cake and eat it too here. I'm all for working mm -hmm. hard and striving for crazy goals, man. I understand that mentality enough that I wouldn't try to shut that down in someone else and neither would you. But it's like, if you do you want it to be sustainable or do you want to have this crazy five years and then you're spending all the money that you made to fix your health issues for the rest of your life? Because mm -hmm. that's what it ends mm -hmm. up being for these people. It's the Absolutely. saddest thing. It's like, so instead of like three to eight, I mean, even if she's only willing to do the five hours right now, could you do, you know, nine to two or whatever? Mm -hmm. And I'm not suggesting mm -hmm. that it's mm -hmm. not going to be fun to wake up at two, but guys, that five mm -hmm. hours is not the same as the other five hours. And you still, exactly. she got your 19 hour work day, go do your thing, right? <laughs> um, but it's amazing how big of a difference now. I don't know if this is just because people that are in our space, we're very aware of our bodies, right? We're, we've been doing this for years. So we kind of notice subtle differences. For myself, I take the sleep very seriously because I went to bed super late when I was young. Matt, if I go to bed at 9.30 versus 10.30, I notice the difference. I'm not saying I can't operate the next day. I mean, I feel fine, but mm -hmm. it's just like 930 is like, whoa, 
I'm good, man. I can go buff out that long day that I want to do. But 10, 30, 11, I start creeping up on that. All of a sudden, that's just enough away from me that by the end of the day, I'm like, damn, I can't wait to go to bed versus like, all right, I feel good. I had a great day. Time to rest. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can be really subtle kind of differences for people. Are you in that same FDN mindset of like, hey, try to get to bed at the nine to 10 range latest? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I, so I get up at four most days. So I definitely try and get to bed by eight or eight thirty. I mean, nine is next <laughs> off. Yeah. Um, and then I will usually work all day. I don't, I mean, I will, my schedule is very tight. Like it's like minute by minute plan. So that when I'm done at five, I'm done. There's no more emails. Like everything is done for the day. So that way I have time with my wife and I can chill and we can kind of relax and, you know, I can do things I want to do and I can spend time with my family, which is very important, which is what I didn't do for a long time. You know, and that's the benefit. Like you said, health issues, that was a major benefit of my health issues because when I was sitting in a hospital bed, they told me I had kidney cancer. And the first thing I thought of was like, Everything I did up to this point really doesn't matter, does it? You know what I mean? Like I have my wife, you know, which is uh, the most important thing to me. And putting work first for years, you know, you learn really quickly when you're laying there in a bed, you know, and you're looking at your CT scan and you have a tumor the size of a golf ball in your kidney, you rethink things. So I vowed that when I came out of that, you know, the benefit of that was I got the perspective of the life change without dying. And so I have a lot of clients who've had cancer. I have one cancer. When I have one client, he's had cancer five times. And he was one of my best resources when I went through this. I've trained him for he was, him and his wife were my first clients. In, I live in Kansas City. His and his wife were my first clients in Kansas City like 20 years ago. I still train them. And so they're kind of like parents, you know. And so I was able to lean on him. And he was just saying like, I was like multi, multi-millionaire, very successful. He was, not me, at an early age. And the same thing, he had testicular cancer, the terminal cancer when he was 25. And so he lived it. He's now 80. And he's obviously been through it, but his whole point was, he said, I said, how did you get through it? And he said, every day I got up and I crawled, you know, like somewhat crawled because he was in very bad shape at the time. Um, his story is unbelievable. The one thing I will share about that is, um, so he had testicular cancer and they took out his entire abdominal lymphatic system as a precaution. This was in like 1961. And then they just got chemo, but they didn't know how to use it. So they gave it to him intramuscularly, like a B12 shot instead of an IV. And that's how his chemo was administered for two years. And so he would get unbelievably sick. And he said he would throw up every five minutes for eight hours all weekend because he was very wealthy. So he had an on-call doctor come to his house to administer chemo. And I said, how did you get through it? And he's like, well, after they gave me what I think it was like morphine or something, he's like, once I would wake up from that, I'd crawl over the window and I'd eventually make myself stand up and I'd look outside and be like, today's a great day and I'm so glad I'm better today. And he's like, I just did that till I got out of the hospital. And then, I mean, so some of those mindset things of people who kind of got through it was just like, and so I said, what do you think the biggest difference is? Oh, stress. It's like stress killed me. He was, I tried to go back to, because he was an investment maker. He said, I tried to go back as soon as I was done. And he's like, I nearly got sick again. He's like, it was worse than chemo. He was like, I was just so sick all the time and tired. And I got every cold and I was run down. And he was like, so I went, so we went on lifelong disability. And so when he went on disability, he immediately started getting better because he wasn't working anymore. He didn't have the stressor. Yeah. And so that was when he was like, I really am convinced it was just stress. And then around that time I got an FDN, I'm like, oh, you have no idea how much stress was contributing to it. And it probably was the stress. So those perspective changes can, can obviously really shape your life, you know, and if, if you let it in a good way. I think that it, it, I, I love that you brought up the mindset thing first, because that's the first thing I'm thinking. How on earth do you get something like the cancer at 25. And now we know, because you said this, he had it four more times at various times. And then you're telling me he's 80 years old. I cannot 
help but believe, because I know that medicine doesn't fully understand probably something like that anyway, I would have to guess that that's mostly due with mindset, this will to live and keep going and, and keep that positive mindset throughout all of that. Because you would think, knowing what we know, your body's got to be in pretty damn bad shape to be getting a diagnosis like that, that young. And then, oh yeah, no problem. I'm just going to go live triple that, <laughs> you know, what is it? 25. Yeah. No, I'll just do that. Uh, you know, a couple more times. I'll be, I'll be okay. Mm -hmm. That's, that's amazing. And I think it goes to show, I'm going to guess like every time that he got these diagnoses, right. He was probably pushing it a little too far. And then he had to bring it back. Like you said, like he started working again and he realized on mm -hmm. the lifelong disability, Oh, mm -hmm. wait a second, this goes away and this gets better. So we got to be mm -hmm. careful with that. And listen, guys, you, you can go out and do these things and work hard, but it's almost like trading stress. And I know this is someone who's been pretty damn sick most of his life as a kid. So it was right out of the room, pretty much stuff's going on. And I can do long weeks, but it's how you engage with that work. And I feel like you would totally understand this. There is a difference between typing, let's say an hour's worth of emails in that frantic, caffeine-driven, crazy, stimulated out uh, way versus, okay, I'm typing my email. And my heart rate's not elevated right now. I'm still taking deep breaths. I'm relaxing. That makes a huge difference. And then again, you can do those other things in your day-to-day -day basis. I think it's funny because a lot of people think I do a lot, but everything else is strict. I'm not drinking. I never go out and drink. I'm not getting drunk. I don't do late flights when I travel. I always plan it within the day. Because if I do one of those little things, Matt, that sets me off as someone who's been sick, yeah, it throws me back. So it's like you guys can go do stuff. No one cannot have a life here. That's fine. But you got to just like kind of trade your stresses here a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure you can get away with um, certain things now that you maybe couldn't have before because you've really figured out how to optimize life and like, hey, this is when I work and this is when I enjoy my family. This is when I play. Mm -hmm. I think that's something I can learn from <laughs> myself okay. for sure. Because somehow they mm -hmm. all seem to be mixed in, which some days can be brilliant. Other days, absolute disaster trying to mix three things in like that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's difficult to juggle. And I think that was the biggest lesson I learned because when I was younger, I was one of those higher achievers. So I was like, the same, same thing where it's like, you work 15 hours a day. And as a trainer, you get used to that. I mean, most trainers, like if you're a good trainer, like there was many days I would train 15, 16 hours a day straight with no lunch break. Like when you're busy, like you're busy. I mean, and when you get paid by the hour, like you have to work. And when you're a trainer, you work when people don't. So that means holidays, weekends, nights, mornings. Like I had long, it's like the first probably three years my wife and I got married, um, I would get up at 3.15, I was at work by 4.30, and I didn't get home until 8.15 each night. I would see her for about 10 minutes, take a shower, go to bed, and I'd see her on the weekends. And that was when I was around, like, like we're like 20, like late 20s, and that was when I started getting chest pain, like at work, from those hours and the stress of it. And that's when I was like, uh, that was kind of my first red flag of like, something is not right. You know, like, why am I having chest pain? You know, and I, when I was 32, I went to the hospital because I thought I was a heart attack. Um, which turned out to be nothing. So, I mean, there's definitely, you can push it too hard. And when I work with a lot of entrepreneurs and like high performers, that's the first thing you say. I'm like, you need to set a cap on your sleep limit. You need to set a cap on your work because you're not going to get it all done today. You have to understand this is a marathon on a sprint. And I will show you other clients' labs who've done the same thing, who have spiraled out of control with their health. And if you're serious about this, this is not something you want to do. I'm sure you help them in many ways just from having that mindset of optimization because there's many, listen, I, I don't want to just project, but I know I've done this myself. There's many people that are busy. It doesn't mean that you're using that time most efficiently. And so I love that mindset that, again, Jen Maleka has, we mentioned that earlier in the podcast, where she will not do more than the 40, 45 hours a week. She asks herself, how can I become more valuable within that 40 to 45 hours? That's how you can make more money. Because guys, the time does have a cap. We all only have 24 hours, right? So if you're just constantly chasing that hourly wage, which I fully understand all of us have to do at some point, I, I still get hourly stuff for certain things, right? 
but you can only add so many more hours on. You can grow indefinitely. I don't know about you, but I don't have a cap on that. I can keep educating myself and keep learning until the day I die. So it actually is a way more smart system, a way smarter system if you take that approach. But you know, we're taught, yeah, just keep pushing, keep pushing, keep pushing when those hours that we're adding on aren't even optimized to begin with. And then yes, you can get the total freaks of the world. If you get an Elon Musk, now you have brilliance mixed with extreme optimization, mixed mm-hmm. with a willingness to work 100 hours a week. Okay, you get Tesla, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. So if you're shooting for that, maybe you got to go take that route and have your five minute sandwich break that I know he has in the middle of the day, every single day, it says. Oh, wow. uh, but if you're like the most of us, you can still do very well financially and then mm-hmm. actually have a life and health. Mm-hmm. That, that would be wonderful, wouldn't it? Mm-hmm. Ahmed, there's one thing I want to rewind to for a second. And I, I wanted to bring it up before, but we ended up talking about other things, which are great. You mentioned an eating disorder at one point, mm-hmm. and we've only had two people come on this entire, again, 150 something episodes and talk about that. We've never had a male come on and talk about that. And I'm in the mental health space because of the things mm-hmm. I've dealt with. I know this exists and people don't want to talk about it. So if you're comfortable, can I ask like, totally. what, what, mm-hmm. what that was and like, what did you experience? So I was bulimic for probably six years. So when you get in the fitness space, you're going to quickly learn a lot of people have. So there's eating disorders and there's disordered eating. Okay. <laughs> eating disorders are bulimia, right? And anorexia. And disordered eating is everything else, which is a lot of things, especially in the health and fitness world. Most people have disordered eating patterns. And so I started because I was overweight and I didn't know how to lose weight. You know, I was really, really overweight. Like when I was in fourth grade, I was 200 pounds. I had a 44 inch waist. I was. I always joke like I was never little. I was just young. Okay. So I'm the same way I am now at 43 as I was in sixth grade. I obviously have a much different composition, but when you're a beach ball and you're 4'11, like life's not fun. Okay. So as I got older, and I had a lot of health issues just because when I was a kid, because I was always sick, because I was already eating garbage, you know, and I was like really overweight, which is obviously a problem. Um, so, you know, for me, as I, as I got older, just getting into sports and other things were really helpful, but some of these things, you know, will just push so hard. And I'll see this all the time. People get really hyper fixated on their food, right? When life feels out of control, what do we do? We double down on things we can't control. And this is where you start to see eating disorders come up. So especially people who have those traits and tendencies for controlling, like I did, I do. Um, so where bulimia, bulimia really started for me at first because I was a weight class athlete. So I had to make weight class all the time for lifting. And then, so I got so big, I really barely maintained my weight class. And I was actually between that and injuries. And I was just getting older. I was kind of, my journey was, I was kind of done with it. I needed to move on with my life. So I retired, but I carried all those eating disorders with me. Right. So then when I played football in college, part of the problem was as a, a shorter guy, um, I've always had to be very, very heavy to compete in the high level things I've done. Cause I'm shorter. Okay. So when I played football in college, I was running back, but I mean, I was in a, it was a pretty big division, but I was a short guy. I mean, we had guys that were literally a foot taller than me, in some cases, a foot and a half taller. So it's like, you have to do what you have to do to compete, right? So I was eating massive and massive amounts of food. Well, then you get out of there, and then this is what most athletes do. When they move on with their life and they become normal or a general population person, you're not trained that way, they carry a lot of those habits with them in terms of the overeating, right? Because we're trying to eat so much to keep our weight up to compete that they don't understand we're not competing anymore. You don't eat, you're not supposed to eat that way anymore. So then I start gaining weight, and I'm like, why am I gaining weight? So then you start, so that triggers my background of like, well, I'm not going to be overweight. So I'll use bulimia to control this like I did before. Right. And so as I got through that, then I started to realize, you know, I mean, like, I think as just doing self-development and realizing this and just educating yourself is like a health professional learning more things, you start to realize, you start to see your own kind of flaws and it's okay. I mean, we all have them, but once you start to see them, that's when I was like, Hmm, 
I have a really problem with food, don't I? Because like, for a long time, you just ignore it. Like, ah, I just did it a couple of times. Not that big a deal. That meal didn't make me feel that good. So, you know, I made myself sick to just because I don't feel that way when I eat anymore. Well, you feel that way because you overate. I mean, like you induced this. So once you kind of start realizing things, so when I work with people, especially when I start talking about nutrition, <clears throat> all my intake form is, <clears throat> pardon me, is do you have a history of eating disorders? And do you feel comfortable talking about it? Because I always open it up. I say, I do. And I had a history of it. And I'm happy to talk to you about it. And I counsel a lot of people on it. So if you feel like you're struggling with that, that's something we'll work through. Okay. So that's how I always bring it up with clients. But yeah, mine is bulimia for a long time. And then I, I probably, <clears throat> excuse me. I was probably um, probably about I'm 43. So by the time I was about 31 to 32 was when I finally kicked the habit and kind of realized what it was and why I was doing it and my triggers. Um, and then once I got rid of it, like it was, it was pretty kind of easy to see that I would, what I was using that, what I was using that tactic for. And that wasn't a good tactic. And it, it, I think when, when people have some of the eating disorders, they feel like they can't talk about it. They feel like they're unique. You're not way more people have it than you think, like way more people have it than you think. Um, and then, so that was really my big background was just kind of being overweight for a long time, really struggling to lose weight and then losing weight incorrectly, starvation, that just dumb things, you know, that we just don't understand. You, you're just trying to be, you're trying to lose weight, but you don't know how to do it. And then, so doing everything wrong, which then leads into eating disorders, because you can see some progress with that, unfortunately, it's obviously not great, but people doing correctly. And that becomes that control mechanism. People are out of control. And so that's like what I really liked about the FDM three, uh, coaching model. When you look at the behavioral wellness wheel, and we really look at all the components of health, right? So like relationships, work, creativity, yeah. sleep, sexual health. Like, do you have a good partner relationship? Like all these things, do you have purpose? You don't see just, just food and just exercise. So there's like all of these things on this wheel that's really health. But what you'll see is when I present that wheel out to clients, I'm like, where on here do you feel like you need to work the most? And you will always see people just go straight into the diet and exercise piece. And you're like, okay, how about these guys? How are these over here? Oh, those are all fine. And then you start digging into them and they're not fine. But those problems that they have in those other areas are what driving the eating disorder. So when you get to the, the root cause, just like we do with everything else, then you can actually get them to see some of their traits. And that's when you can start to make progress. Uh, you rock, man. I appreciate you just shining light on this so much because this is something that I see a lot as someone in the mental health space. And in the fitness world, you're right. I mean, it is it's coming out a little more on social. You see some people talking about it, but it's shut down, man. There is some deep stuff buried there sometimes and people aren't addressing it. And then worse yet, there's just stigma around this stuff anyway, right? Half these mm -hmm. people in the world don't even believe the eating disorders. Like, well, is that actually real? And then God forbid you say you're a male with one. Now you are really in trouble, right? And it's just, it's ridiculous, guys. Like this is real stuff. This actually mm -hmm. is something that people experience. And for those that don't know, I forgive me for my oversimplified definition of this, but I, I had a person very close to me that dealt with this. And I did not know until it was years and years in really, uh, it takes a toll, uh, bulimia. And if you want to add something again, please feel mm -hmm. free, but this is the one that's categorized basically by these instances of like binging and purging. Correct. You have mm -hmm. both aspects. Mm -hmm. Correct. Mm -hmm. And you'll so, see this a lot with, you'll see this a lot with, um, just it'll spill over into disordered eating behaviors too. Right. So, Eating disorders, as we said, anorexia and bulimia. Disordered eating is everything else where you're like you're over obsessing about food. You track your in. There's nothing wrong with tracking your intake. Let me back up. There's nothing wrong with tracking your intake. The problem with tracking your intake and disordered eating is like, let's say just for arbitrarily, your calorie numbers are 1500. These are the people who are like, I had 1501. I have to go work out. Like, calm down. Like, this is where disordered eating starts. I'm not going to this party because I can't control that food. That's disordered eating, right? And and it's okay if you want to bring your own food because maybe that food has that doesn't mean it's like you're trying to eat healthy 
And maybe that place just has McDonald's, whatever. Okay. There's nothing wrong with that. I've done that for years. That's not disordered eating. Disordered eating is like, you're going to go to a party, you nitpick at everything. That food's not clean enough. That food's not healthy enough. Like you, you become what's just called orthorexic, right? Which is where you get fixated on the cleanliness of food. And if food is not clean, meaning it's not whole, like it's not um, non-processed, it's not a whole food sprinkled with like superfood and like unicorn dust, you don't eat it. And it's like <laughs> terrible for you. And it's like a problem, right? And if they have one cookie, then I get a text with like 10 exclamation points. Like I failed. Those are all disordered eating behaviors and thought processes. And those are the things that we have to work through. But it is everywhere. And you would not believe how many people have it. And, and a lot of people don't talk about it. When I encourage people to talk about it, because when I get clients who come forward, because I will catch clients doing it. I have, I've been able to catch clients because of some of the accountability measures I have built in my programs. I can catch disordered eating. Like they'll start skipping weigh-ins. That's the first one. We weigh in everyone on Monday for one reason, right? So accountability, right? And helps them stay on track. And you can start to see people, disordering papers will turn the trackers off on the weekend, won't track on the weekend. They won't show up on Mondays. You start seeing patterns. It becomes very easy to spot. I will then pull in my office and just say, hey, I noticed a couple of things. Is there anything you want to talk about? You know, because we just say, hey, this is a safe space. And they'll always come out with it. Yep. I didn't track this weekend because I binged. I didn't want to weigh in Monday because I felt bad. I'm like, okay. So this is the first step. We have to talk about this. I'm like, this is a safe space. This is how we get it out. This is how you get past it. And they all know that I have it because every time a new client comes in my studio, they always get to sit down with me for about 90 minutes. And this is where we do the, the deep dive and we dig through their history and their health history, look at the root causes. And I always share all my struggles. I'm like, you're going to be, you know I mean, like you will be surprised how many people have this. And even experts struggle with a lot of these things. There's nothing wrong with you. This is part of the process. And I'm very open and trying to help people figure it out. Because again, it is a problem. And if you don't figure it out, this is the binge purge thing will then lead to the restrict binge cycle and chronic dieters where they're like, I'm going to white knuckle it. I'm only going to eat perfect food, whatever that is for the next, whatever is like the rest of my days. And I'm not going to have sugar. I'm not going to have alcohol. I'm not going to look at M&Ms. Like they put all these rigid, they put all these like very, very rigid boxes around how they eat that are impossible to maintain. So like, if you do this on Monday, what happens on Wednesday? Well, I failed. Couldn't do that today. So then they binge and you create these binge restrict cycles they never get out of. And that's a disordered eating behavior. So these are all things that if they're not careful, they'll spill into it as an eating disorder. So this is why you as a practitioner, regardless of what your really your specialty is, you're going to see this. And if you know what to look for, you'll see it with lots of clients when you really know what to look for. But it's very common. Dude, you legitimately sound like the perfect coach. Um, I, I love, and I know that so much of this is your dedication to clearly lifelong learning. I mean, just, it doesn't sound like you've ever really stopped. So I'm sure a lot of that's a skill, but you also have a a gift in that sense, right? This ability to come across as very confident and firm, but also, hey, I'm humble enough to show you exactly the things that I've struggled with. That is a coach, man. That's what coaches are actually supposed to do. It's not putting on this fake image of perfection mm -hmm. and then saying, oh mm -hmm. yeah, you know, you'll be lucky enough if you're like me, right? It's showing that I'm human so that it relates. And then, hey, I've learned a lot of things so I can actually share this with you and guide you through your human experience as well. Mm -hmm. That's that's pretty damn cool. Um, I don't, we have wonderful people that come on the show. I don't meet a lot of people that I feel from what they've said on the show are just so naturally inclined to that. I think that's cool. And I, again, appreciate you sharing the eating stuff because this is something that affects our space a lot, whether it's the bulimia or uh, anorexia or not, the disordered eating is huge. Mm -hmm. And it's even trickier sometimes because there are moments where what 
there are moments where some of this seems justified. And here's what I mean, because it happened to me, that restrict binge cycle that you talked about. Mm -hmm. There was a point, Matt, where I was playing this guessing game. I did not have a system like FDN where there was an actual plan. So what happens? I am genuinely experiencing symptoms or acne or whatever it was at the time that I saw from the foods that I ate. But the problem is, which you've seen probably with people who are super sick in their head, and it actually probably is true. They just don't realize what's going on. Every food seems to trigger the symptom. Like I eat this, I get acne. Okay, well, I'll stop eating that. No problem. Oh, this is a problem though too. Oh, this is an issue. Now, really the whole issue probably was like a leaky gut at the time, right? And the gut infections. And it led to everything causing an issue because it's going right into that bloodstream, creates that waste, there's backup. Of course, you're going to break out in your skin if that's something you're prone to then. So I eventually come to this conclusion, damn, there's only like four or five things I can even eat. And that is not sustainable for anyone. That is restriction. So then of course it comes in with this binge cycle and then you feel guilty, you feel terrible. So that's why guys, I mean, FDN, whether it's something you're looking at for the course or something you'd consider working with someone like Matt, for this is why the system is important because you mentioned in the beginning you had this woman with these histamine things she did have to remove some stuff for a while she had to get a little strict but you let her know and you said it on this episode today this is not forever it's not even for a year right we're it's not even for probably six months we're gonna get you better in a good amount of time here and you'll be able to add these foods back in Uh, we might have to move it for a little bit but when we're playing guessing games with ourselves and we're trying to figure out well what doesn't work for us you're gonna be You'd have to be one out of a hundred that is lucky enough to figure this out and heal on their own. Otherwise, you're just going to restrict until the point, oh, damn, there's nothing left. Yeah, like you said, I'm paleo vegan and need the pixie dust, unicorn dust, whatever you said on top of it. And then my food's perfect and clean. So I appreciate you bringing this topic today. I didn't think that it was going to go this way. This is something that needs to be said on this show. But I'm glad. Yeah, no, I think that the more people understand it's there. And I think that's where really one of the things that I've done is I'll coach more from like more of a calorie management standpoint and I'll let people they'll discover their own health food journey and you'll see it every time you'll start just giving them some guidelines, giving them some parameters, giving them some training wheels, right. Of just teaching them how to control their intake. And then you'll start to see those food choices evolve and they'll start to be like, no, I feel better on that food or I don't like that food. And that doesn't make me feel good. And that's why it's something like there's no good or bad foods. If you eat a good food, you're not a good person. If you eat bad food, you're not a bad person. Like it's calories are a unit of measurement. Just like mile is a unit of distance. That is it. And once people take emotion away from their food choices, which is very important, then they can move on with their journey. And then they stop worrying about things. When like, oh, I think I had this grape and it wasn't organic. You'll be fine. So as you move through that, that's where some of the headspace can start to open up. And that's where people make, the, I think, really amazing progress is when you see people like who are, you know, eating disordered people and are really hung up on very certain things thinking this is the only way this is going to work for me. That's not working that you can then get them to maybe shift their paradigm a little bit more open to looking at everything, not just the food, not just exercise, but looking at their entire lifestyle. Yeah. I think the, uh, I, my gosh, I could do a whole other episode with you on this. I'm going to wrap it up here since we're getting close to our time. But, uh, the one thing that you said about the organic, I think that's the biggest trap I fell in because I was, listen guys, organic, generally speaking, especially if it's local and not just commercial crap, it is better. There are less toxins, but I don't think people realize that in today's world, if you have, unless you are living in a remote area of Montana, you have such an abundance of toxins coming at you at all times of the day from the air, from the water, whatever. And I don't mean that to fear monger. I'm not trying to scare people. But my point is, if you really think that the same exact food, organic versus not organic, a few times per week is going to be the make or break for you, that's insane. Like, that's just not factual. There's a huge difference between someone that has celiac disease mm-hmm. and cheating on gluten once a week. Yes. No one, Matt and I didn't say that. But to say, oh, well, I can't eat 
that banana because it's not organic, that's okay. Whoa, whoa, whoa. we're getting a little dogmatic mm-hmm. now. And that's probably when you're entering that orthorexic type Absolutely. of phase. And, you know, I think people do hear about this in a certain way. Like to me, organic was the pinnacle. I was like, whoa, whoa, this matters all the time. And I do my absolute best to buy only things that are organic, mm-hmm. you know, but it, there are bigger things to your health, like probably a list of 50 things that matter more than just that. And I know that that pisses a lot of people off sometimes. They're really locked in on that like I was. Like, no, that can't be true. There's 50 things plus. I would guess there's even more um, that matter more than just the slight amount of extra toxins that might be in the organic food only because of how our world is today. So with that all said, a uh, few things to you, Matt. One obvious one, where can people find you? And please shout out your in-person stuff. Just God forbid someone's listening there and online. Oh, sure. So if you're, I'm in uh, Overland Park, Kansas. So if you're in that area, the studio that I co-own with my partner is called Body Solutions. So you can, it's called bodysolutionskc.com. You can see our studio. And then my actual website, especially where I do health coaching and where people can reach me is my name. So it's Matt Terry. And then the word fitness. So it's mattterryfitness.com. And that's where people can find right, it. Nice and easy URL. Thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll have that as a show notes for everyone. And Matt, we always finish with the same question on this podcast. It's really straightforward. And you have so much education and clearly continue to study that. I'm curious to see what you'll say about this. But the signature question, the one we finish with on this podcast, is if I could, in this case, give Matt a magic wand and you could get every single person in this world to do mm-hmm. one thing for their health, what's the one thing you'd get them to do? Sleep more. Very easy. If people slept at least 78 hours a day, you actually technically wouldn't age. If you look at the sleep studies on that, one of the reasons why you age and you age poorly is because you don't recover from the day. So if you had if you had recovery from the day and you had full sleep cycles, you would age much slower and you'd have way less health problems. Like that's the number one thing I would tell people when they first come in and they meet with me is like, like I said before, if we don't get you sleeping, we've got some major problems. I don't care about really a lot of other things, even food choices. I care about sleep way more than that because I've had people eat perfect foods and work out tons who sleep like crap, who are very unhealthy people and have bad labs. And I've had people who are like, their food's okay. They sleep really well. They do some major movements. They control their stress. They're not super like high strung. Their labs are awesome and they feel really good. So I would say before anything, sleep. Okay, guys, that'll do it for today's episode with Matt Terry, FDNP, amongst many other things. Again, if you guys are interested in the course, you want to learn more about this before the price goes up, fdntraining.com slash summer. Check out our open house. I will be there not on the 28th, but we'll be doing another thing on the 30th, I believe, and I will be hopping on and talking with Reed Davis himself. I'm excited to be there. Always fun talking to him. Um, ask questions, figure out if this course is right for you, schedule calls, whatever you got to do, figure out if this is right for you now, if you've been on the fence, if you're just hearing about this for the first time, no problem. It takes a while sometimes for people to make decisions about this. So don't rush yourself just because of a price increase. We're not here to do that or use some, you know, stupid sales tactic. That's not what this is about. The course needs to be raised because it's long overdue. That's the fact. So if you're just hearing about this, you're totally good. The $1,000 can be made back easily over time. Don't feel like you need to rush into something you're not sure of. But if you've been on the fence and you're pretty sure of it, why wait until it goes up another $1,000 just to decide two weeks in? Oh, well, yeah, you know what? I do want to do that. FDNtraining.com slash summer. Check it out. And I will be back next time with a solo episode. I'm going to be going over one of the labs that we use at FDN, continuing my solo series with that. And just because we've had so many good interviews, I'm probably going to buff out a lot of those solo episodes um, at least once a week, just so that we can get that over with. Not that something that's not fun, but I definitely don't want it to go on forever because I'm prioritizing these interviews. Now, I love the interviews. I know that you guys do too. So we will still have at least one of those a week until I'm finished up. Um, But yeah, I think that's all I have for now. I'm looking forward to talking to you guys again soon. But until then, please take care.